these Sunday mornings in spring, we since Easter, we have been in a sermon series which we're calling The Great Exchange. And what we're seeking to do is to, to show throughout the entire sweep of, of, the, of the Christian scriptures how, um, how humanity as a whole and we as individuals have made this, this horrible exchange that, that God, at the beginning when he made humanity, when he made uh, men and women in his image, he made them perfect to delight in him and to uh, experience flourishing and, and, and wholeness and perfection of relationship with him. But as sin entered, as, as human, human beings declared war on God, as human beings rebelled against God, we, uh, in the words of Romans 1, we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We exchanged um, the, the good creation, the perfect creation, the way God intended uh, uh, for us to be, God's vision for us, we exchanged that for something far less. And as fallen human beings, then, we now walk in, in sin, with a sin nature. And sin isn't just a failure to obey God. F- f- sin is, is not just a, a failure to... Um, to tow the party line, to not tow the line to, to, um, that, that God's interested in just keeping us in line. Sin is, has brought all kinds of destructive patterns. Sin has marred God's good creation in us. But the good news of the scripture is that, that Jesus Christ has come, that God has not left us in that fallen state, that he's not left us um, how we've chosen to be, but he's, he's come and he's taken uh, God the Son took on flesh in Jesus, the person of Jesus, the God-man, that he has come to rescue us, and, and the way in which he rescued us is through this great exchange. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, that he made him who knew no sin, that's Christ, that's Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This great exchange takes place where Jesus enters into the, the, the depths of our fall, into the depths of, of where our sin has taken us, and he exchanges then. And he's treated like we deserve so that we can be treated like he, deserve, is, like he deserves. And so, so we have this great reversal, this great exchange that, that happens. And so we've been walking through, and in our, in our hope in this series is that, is that we all would, would come to see and appreciate just how great the love of God is in Christ Jesus, that we would come to appreciate the, the, the comprehensive nature of the gospel, of, of how God has, has totally saved us in every way, that, our, that in seeing that, in, in understanding that, that our love for Jesus would grow deeper and hotter and stronger. And so that we would be equipped to share the good news of Jesus. As a people, we don't want to, you know, God doesn't call the church. We are the church. He doesn't call us to keep this message to ourselves like a treasure and our, like our little precious, right? He, call, he calls us to broadcast it. 
And so we want us to see, we want to see the, the varied nature and the many aspects. It's like a, the gospel of Jesus is like a diamond that you can turn and, 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 and there's different faces on it. There's different aspects to it. And as we see the many aspects of the gospel of Jesus, we can share it because our, our neighbors and our friends and our family members and our coworkers are feeling the effects of that first exchange. They, they are feeling the effects of the fall. But the reality is, is we're all experiencing them in different ways. And so we as the people of God must be equipped to, and, and ready to share the good news in many different ways. So that's some of the hopes in this series. So we've talked about how, um, how in the fall, in that first exchange, we, we exchanged a, a deep security and a deep acceptance with God for shame. But how in Christ, Christ was, was, was made shame for us so that we could, we could experience a deep security in him again. Last week we talked about how, um, um, how, how, we, how uh, in, the, in our fall we, we've become afraid. We, we feel like following God, that, that following Jesus would, um, is, 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 is dangerous for us. And so, um, the, in, the, the, in the exchange, the second exchange in Christ, we have a deep security. A deep security. Today we're going to talk about and, and try to see from the sweep of Scripture, but primarily from a, a passage in Philippians 2, how um, the effects of the fall, how, how we are all infected with the virus of pride, but how... Um, in Jesus, that, that second exchange, we can, we can have a right and a beautiful humility restored to us. C.S. Lewis, in whom I'm going to be leaning on heavily today, just a heads up, C.S. Lewis has a great chapter in his book, Mere Christianity, on pride. So I'll be leaning heavily on him. Um, he says this, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free which everyone in the world loathes when we, he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called Humility. You see that insidious nature of pride? The, the more we're infected with it, the more we hate it in other people. And in fact, the more we have it, the more we're blind to it in ourselves. And the more we're sensitive we're to it in others. And the reality is, is we all have it. We're all infected. I think actually... Um, some some of the ways in which we follow Jesus, um, and this is true of any culture, um, when we follow Jesus, there's some parts of our following of Jesus that are really appealing and uh, to the culture that surrounds us. So the fact that Jesus calls us to justice for the oppressed, that Jesus calls us to uh, to care for the broken, and the sick, and the needy and the poor, and the vulnerable in this world, that, that, that our, our surrounding culture looks 
and sees that teaching of Jesus and they say, yeah, that's beautiful. That's good. The church should be doing that. We're glad that the church is concerned about these things. But I think it's not so much that way when it comes to humility, that we actually are swimming upstream in our culture when we talk about pride and humility. Our culture is all about, you know, find yourself and be yourself. Find the beauty within, find the power within, find the goodness within and expose that to the world. Let it out. Just be yourself that the way to salvation, to the way to fulfillment, the way to a happy life is just to be yourself. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. That's, it's everywhere in our culture. That message, just be yourself. That the best way for you to be is to just be yourself. I came across it even in, um, in like a, a, a little coaching manual for, for uh, young kids, sports. So I coach baseball for my kids, and, and it's like, one, like the number one rule for coaches is, well, just be yourself. And I can't help but think, you know what? Actually, what those kids need they, is they, they need me to not be myself, <laughs> right? They, they don't need the ultra-competitive father who's living vicariously through his children's sports achievements coaching this team. They need me to not be myself in order to be a good coach. But it's everywhere. It's infected into our entire culture. Just be yourself. You're, you're good. You're important. You're valuable. You are, you know, you're, you know, the, 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 all of your problems are because you have low self-esteem. You think too lowly of yourself. You just need to be yourself. Embrace who you are and let it out is the way to, to salvation even. but not so with the way of following Jesus. And I hope we'll see that the way of following Jesus is even more beautiful. Philippians 2. This beautiful, this famous passage, probably the the key passage in the scriptures on humility. Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion so as you think about all that you've received in christ that you've been united with him and he loves you and he's 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 lavished his spirit on you if you if you have any of that if that's making a difference in you he says then then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and purpose do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Paul says in verses 2 and 3, he says, 
be like-minded, have the same love, be one in love, be one in spirit, be one in purpose. You know, we desire this unified community, this human community that's united, that we're, we're, we're with a group of people and we're, we're one in heart and one in mind and one in love and one in purpose. We're, we're all going in the same way. We desire this unified community, but instead we have a world of wars and cliques and fighting and political polarization and demonizes anyone who disagrees with you. And even in the church. And this, is, this passage is talking about church, right? There's fighting and there's divisions. And Paul says, to have unity, you must do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit. Vain conceit is, a, is one Greek word. It's kinodoxia, which is a, 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 a melding together of two other Greek words. Kenosis, which means to empty oneself, and doxa, which means glory or honor. Kinodoxia, to empty oneself, kenosis, doxa, glory and honor. It means to be empty of glory. Do nothing out of the emptiness of glory that's in your heart, Paul's saying. He says, don't, in order to have a unified community, in order to have this being one in love and mind and purpose, and, and, and in order to rightly reflect, right, the mercies of God you've received and the love of God and the, the unity with Jesus that you've received, you should do nothing out of the emptiness of glory that's in your heart. To be... To, to, to operate out of vain conceit means to be that you're, that you're operating out of this deep hunger for honor, this deep hunger for respect, this need to be admired, this need to, to feel important, to feel significant, to, to, to be seen as, 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 as good, to be vain conceit, kinodoxia. To be empty of glory. We have this void in our hearts. This emptiness. This hollow. Because we don't feel like a person of importance and significance. And so this emptiness. This void at our center. We have this vacuum in our hearts. In the center of who we are. There's this vacuum. And it's, and it's desperately looking to anyone or anything. To everyone and everything. To tell us that we're significant. To tell us that we're good. You see, when, when God made us, he made us to live forever. But now we're fading. He, we, we were made to last, but now we're dying. We're, we were made to never be forgotten, but now we know we will. We're glory hungry. We're hungry for glory. And so pride is this, is this grand illusion. It's this fantasy. It's this put on where we learn to swagger a little bit, to convince ourselves that we're important, that, that to fill to this desperate attempt to fill this emptiness, this, this vacuum in the, at the center of our being. And every one of us is afflicted with it. So we don't even know what humility is. We don't know why it's good, why it's right, why it's beautiful. C.S. Lewis says, if you want to find out how proud you are, 
the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take notice of me or shove their oar in or patronize me or show off? I have no idea what shove your oar in means. Does anyone know? <laughs> but I put it, I left it in, the, I wanted to put dot, 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 but I love that. It's just, I don't know what it means, but he's British, so he speaks another language. Anyone know? To interfere. All right. So when, uh, when people interfere with you, I guess uh, that makes sense. So how do you know how proud you are? The easiest way, he says, how do you like it when people snub you? Does that really get under your skin? Are you easily offended? How do you like it when people shove their oar in or patronize you or show off, right? If that really bothers you, he's saying, really likely that you're a proud person. Lewis Smead says, pride is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. It's to grab God's status for oneself. It's wishing to be the creator, independent, reliant on our own resources. We're glory hungry. We have this emptiness, this void. We've been emptied of glory in the fall, in this first exchange. We've been emptied of of our real significance And so let's compare pride and humility. We're so um, afflicted with pride. We don't know why, what humility is, why it's good, why it's right. It's the opposite of pride is humility, right? We, we see that in the text, verse 3, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, instead, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. John Dixon, who's a scholar um, out of Australia, I believe, he spoke, some of us go to the Leadership Summit in the summers. He spoke a few years ago, so that might jog something for you, on, on the book that he wrote, Humilitas. And he says that uh, humility was never seen as a virtue until Jesus of Nazareth came along. Humility was always seen as, you know, used in a derogatory sense. It was never seen as good and beautiful until Jesus came along. To be humble is to be modest and deferential, to defer to the others. And that was the attitude of a slave. But the, the reality is that humility is not just a suggestion in the Bible for followers of Jesus. It is actually essential to even become a Christian. You can't come to God and say, hey, let's have a relationship. Look how good I am. Because he will turn you away and say, you have no idea who I am or who you are. But if you come and say, Lord, I repent of who I am and I need your grace. I have nothing to merit your favor. Save me for Jesus' sake. Because, save me because based on what Jesus has accomplished, then he receives you. And that's humility. That's humility. So let's compare pride and humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. Again, leaning heavily on C.S. Lewis here. Pride is competitive. 
pride is competitive. He says pride is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next guy. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. Pride is competitive needing to be better, needing to be higher than others, needing and being able to look down on others. But humility is content with your circumstances. Humility is, is being content even with your imperfections. Second, pride is enmity. Pride is enmity. Lewis again, he says, pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. In God, you come up against someone who is in every way immeasurably superior to yourself. And as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and looking down on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that's above you. Pride is enmity, putting people down. Pride loves to scorn others and make fun of others when we see their weaknesses. We love, we take this great delight in seeing the weakness of others. But humility is treating those who are lesser those who are opposed to you, with courtesy, with grace, in a pleasant way, treating them at ease, being at ease with those who are opposed to you, with those who are different from you. Which, by the way, is the beef I have with most so-called Christian news outlets. They're all online, right? But And, and you're, you're, if you have social media, your social media at least mine, is filled with people posting these things of Christian news. And it drives me crazy because it's always the enemy is out there. Look how stupid these people are. It's always the, the Muslim's fault, or it's always you know the gay people's fault, or it's always someone else's fault, and we're better than them. These refugees, they don't want to come and work here. They wouldn't get a job. It's always someone else's fault, right? We're above. We've earned our place. It drives me crazy. I, that was for free. I wasn't planning on saying that. But there's a special kind of pride that, that religious people have. And let me say, and I think Lewis actually refers to this in the chapter on pride. He says, if your interactions with God leads you to think that you're better than other people, it's a not God that you're dealing with, it's the devil. If your interactions with God lead you to think you're better than other people, it's not God you're dealing with. The devil loves to see people enslaved by religious pride. 
Next, pride takes credit. Pride takes credit. Pride says, look at my life. I did this. I earned it. I worked harder. I worked smarter than everyone else. I deserve it. And by the way, prayerlessness, therefore, is a sure sign of pride. But humility looks at life and receives it as a gift. Humility looks at all of life and says, look at the gift I've received. And so humility doesn't necessarily saying, I'm the dumbest one out here. Right? It's not like, I'm not smart. Like, that's not, it's, my smarts is a gift I've received. Thank you. Everything I have is a gift. And I receive it as a gift. So it's not pretending that you're the worst person out there. It's not pretending that you're the poorest person out there. It's not pretending that you're not good at things. It's understanding that what you have received, everything you've received, is nothing but a gift. That's humility. But pride likes to take credit. Pride is not only likes to take credit, pride is stubborn. Pride is not teachable. Pride cannot take correction. Pride cannot take, admit wrong or admit fault. Pride is absolutely sure of every single one of their beliefs. But humility is teachable. Humility understands that sometimes we're wrong. Pride is also self-conscious. Again, leaning on C.S. Lewis here. Pride is not always arrogant and self-promoting and braggers, right? We think of cocky pe- When we think of pride, we think of cocky people. But listen, pride is this need, this hunger for honor and for glory. And it can be shown in inferiority as much as in superiority. If you're always beating yourself up, if you're always afraid of attention, if you're afraid of how you may look to others, and you're just as self-absorbed as the cocky person. And so Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is self-forgetfulness. I've recommended this book before, but Tim Keller has a short little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. To not just focus on yourself, but to be so assured of who you are in Jesus that you can forget about how you, your image and how you're coming across and really focus on other people and really look to, to God and really look out for others, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And in that book, I think it's, uh, Keller has this illustration of what self-forgetfulness is like. And, he, and it's an illustration involving body parts. And it's, I think it's, it's really helpful. Like, if, if you walked into the room this morning and you're like, man, my elbow, my elbow is working great today. Right? My elbow, when I want it to bend, it bends. When I want to straighten it out, it straightens out. My elbow is in prime condition today. The only way, the only time you would ever say that is if yesterday... Your elbow wasn't working so great. Maybe you couldn't bend your arm. Maybe it was like it had bursitis in your elbow, whatever that is, right? Like maybe, maybe like 
you had a lot of pain. It wasn't working well yesterday. Normally, elbows don't draw attention to themselves unless there's something wrong. It's the same thing with our ego, with our sense of self. If our sense of self, if our ego is healthy, we don't think about it. But you see, you would not be constantly looking at yourself, wondering how you're coming across, wondering what other people think of you, what, um, wondering if you're getting enough attention, whether you're getting the credit you deserve. You wouldn't be thinking of yourself if you were healthy. You'd be looking at others. You'd be looking at God. But we're always thinking about ourselves. We're always feeling snubbed. We're always getting our feelings hurt. We're insulted. Why? Because there's something wrong with our ego. We're proud. We're lacking glory. We're lacking the substance in the center of our hearts. The glory for which we were made. And so let's look at the second exchange briefly here. The second exchange and most importantly... The healing of pride. We're all infected. We're all afflicted. We've all chosen the way of pride. How can that be healed? I want us to notice a number of things about this passage I read in Philippians. Verses 6 to 11. I don't know if, you've, if you read that in, even if you read that on an app or you read that in your Bible, very likely you'll notice that it's, it's kind of written like a poem. It's, it's not like in a paragraph style. It's, it's, it's poetic because this was very likely the first Christian hymn or one of the very early Christian hymns. This is a song. This is a song of praise. And so Paul's talking about this really practical issue, right? About unity in a human community and, and, and not being acting out of vain conceit and selfish ambition, not being proud, not acting out of pride, but rather walking in humility. And then he just launches into this song of praise about the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he's done and all um, who he is and, and all that he's accomplished. Why, why is that? Doesn't it seem, seem a little bit out of place? I think the answer is that you cannot, the reason is that you cannot work on humility directly. You can't say, this week, I'm going to focus on being humble. Why? Because humility is self-forgetfulness. You're not thinking of yourself at all. So the moment you start to work on being humble, you've lost it. The more you try to be more humble, the less you are. When you begin to work on humility, you lose it. You can't work on it directly because it's self-forgetfulness. We can only work on our appearances. I'm going to try to appear to be humble. I'm going to be a... And that actually just destroys humility, right? So someone said that humility is the shyest of virtues. You can't talk to it without it going away. As soon as you start talking to your humility, it leaves so then how do you become humble? How, what is, how does this exchange take place? How can God make us humble? It's by not looking at ourselves, but looking at someone else. It's looking at Jesus. And so Paul launches into this discourse, this song of praise about who Jesus is. He, he starts talking theology, but it's not just like 
dry theology. It's theology on fire. He's praising Jesus. We need something to praise God for. And so humility, we can't work on humility directly. It's only a byproduct. If you want to be humble, if you want to be humble, you're most likely being driven by pride. Because <laughs> you know what? They, I would, they would really like me more if I was a real humble person. They would think more of me if I could come across more humble. And so I'm going to really try to be humble which is really being driven by pride. (laughs) You see the catch-22 you're in, right? People will like me more if I'm humble, so let me try to appear humble. But humility instead, though, is a byproduct of worshiping Jesus. Wanting him and knowing him. Who being in very nature God did not consist, consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He made himself nothing. You know what the Greek word there is? Kenosis. Which should ring a bell. Kenosis means to empty oneself. Though he was God, he emptied himself. Emptied himself of what? Some say, well, he emptied himself of his deity, of being God. It's not what it says. Jesus remained God. He, he didn't stop being God, but he started being a servant. He took the form of a servant. He emptied himself his glory he emptied himself of his glory and so if we you know if we could see jesus in all of his glory in all of his honor and his brilliance if we were transported to heaven and saw him glorified in that state it would knock us over right when we see something that's that's so beautiful it just evokes praise and adoration it elicits you know this adoration in us right when you see a when you come across this beautiful landscape and you're just, has oh, your breath taken away? It, we just want to praise it. We want it. It evokes this adoration. When we see a piece of artwork or we, whatever it is, we see something of, of beauty, it just elicits praise and awe in us. But Isaiah 53 says of Jesus, he had no beauty that we should desire him. He emptied himself of his beauty, of his glory of all that which would evoke honor and praise and glory from us. He emptied himself. He became small. He became vulnerable. He became beatable and rejectable. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Why? Because he saved us. And as he saves us, he leads us on a new trajectory, a new plane. And the the new trajectory of life is that the way up is down. Jesus has come to reverse this world's values. That the way to be rich is to give your wealth away. The way to rule is to serve. The way to be happy is not to seek your own happiness, but the happiness of others. That the greatest 
form of glory is to give it away to someone else. Right? We have this word kenosis. The key to understanding this passage is this word kenosis because it's there twice. We are glory hungry. We're empty of glory. We're glory hungry. And we're constantly trying to fill our emptiness with our pride. Our pride is trying to fill us, our, our, our emptiness inside with praise and honor of other people, respect from anyone and anything, doing our best to get by. But Jesus emptied himself of his glory so that we could be full. There's the exchange. There's the exchange, right? Jesus emptied himself of his glory so we could be full of his glory. We get his record because he got ours. He was treated like we deserved. Therefore, we can be treated like he deserves. You can't work on humility directly. You can't ask a humble person, what's the secret to your humility? Right? Because the second they open their mouth to answer, they've lost it. But you can kill your pride. You can kill your pride. And you can kill your pride by focusing on Jesus. And all that he's accomplished. And on him emptying himself of his glory. So that he could fill you with his.